know it's silly, but it does talk about the power of unity, and that is what I want to talk to you about today. We've been in a series in, entitled, Who We Are, and we've been going back to our roots and understanding what this church has been about and, and what has fed this church for 53 years, and we are recommitting our heart to say, God, do, do your will in us. Let us be the church you want us to be. Let us be the powerful church that you intended us to be. And we're doing that through this series. And we've asked and answered several questions that are key questions. For instance, uh, where do we start? And why do we exist? Why does this church exist? What is the purpose of us being here? And what do we value what is it that we desire the most? What do we value the most? What means the most to us? And how can we participate? We looked at that last week, and we talked about giving back to God. But this morning, I want to talk to you about this simple idea. How do we do this mission together? How, we, how do we do this together? Who we are, a people on mission, and how do we do it together? being the best that God wants us to be. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want you to think back with me to the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has just had the Lord's Supper. He gathered all the disciples together for that Passover meal, and they had the Lord's Supper, what we call today the Lord's Supper, together. And then, you remember, they left, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there Jesus said to the disciples, you just stay over to the side, and I'm going to pray alone. And he prayed, and he poured out his heart to God. For a long time he was praying. So what, what was Jesus praying? Well, three of the Gospels only say that statement that Jesus made, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done, and we remember that. But it is John, it is the Gospel of John that tells us what Jesus, that prayer time that Jesus was having was all about. I sort of suspect that after the resurrection of Christ, the Bible says that he was with the disciples for 40 days and during that time that he shared with them so many of the details, so, so much of an understanding of what the cross was about, the resurrection was about. I wouldn't be surprised if he sat down with John and told John, John must have asked him, what were you praying about? What were you praying for on that night? And I'm sure it was at that time he told John, what he had been praying for. And John put it all in one chapter, chapter 17 of John. It is a powerful chapter. If you ever just want to have just a quiet time of, of just a particular passage of Scripture that is absolutely amazing, it's one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, John chapter 17. Now, what I want to do is sort of come in toward the end of that prayer time of Jesus, toward the end of John 17, and I want to begin in verse 20 and listen to what Jesus is saying. I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. It's as though, remember Jesus is God in flesh, it's as though Jesus is able to look down through the ages down through the centuries of all the people that will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And he sees all of them there, and he sees us. 
I believe with all my heart he could see Mark Hartman. He could see you. He could see us as Sugar Creek Baptist Church, and he's praying for us. And notice what he, he prays, verse 21. I pray that the people of Sugar Creek will all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is a wow moment for me. When I'm reading this, wow. So what is it that Jesus is actually praying for? He is praying that we would be one, that there would be this deep-seated unity that we would share together as a church, and that we would love each other like we should love each other. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. I want to start grasping this whole idea of what Jesus had in mind. I want to start with this idea that we are family. We are family. Now, I know we're friends. You've got many friends in this church, and there's a strength in friendship, but stronger than friendship is family. And we are family. When the Bible talks about this, it says we're family. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2.19. You are a member of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other believer. I love that phrase, and you belong. No matter who you are, you belong as much in the family of God as anyone else. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you belong. I notice in the Bible that the Bible does not say that the church is like a family. It says we are family. It does not say that a church that the church is a symbol of a family. It says we are family. We have as followers of Christ, we have the same heavenly father. Now, the Bible says that God is the creator of everyone, but he is only the father of some, not everyone. So how is it that he becomes more than my creator? He becomes my heavenly father. How, how do I get to that place? And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, for as many as receive Jesus... To them, God gives the authority, the power to be called children of God. The very moment that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, God became my heavenly Father. Now, I'm going to tell you, I had a, I had a fantastic earthly Father, but God, I've got even a greater heavenly Father. And there's some that maybe have had a 
very difficult father, earthly father growing up, but the heaven, your heavenly father is absolutely wonderful. And God says, I can be your heavenly father. For as many as receive Christ, to these God gives the authority, the power to be called children of God. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I became a child of God. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you became a child of God. And that means you're my sister and you're my brother. And all of the women in this room, you are my sisters who know Christ. And all that are here, men, you are my brothers in Christ because we are part of the same family. And God is simply saying, I want you to act like it. I want you to act like the family that I have called you to be. John, who wrote the Gospel of John in John chapter 17 that we're reading from, is also the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. And Revelation was a series of revelations, a series of visions that God gave to John. And John wrote these visions down. And one of those was this vision of a day that is coming. It's not yet come. A day that is coming in that he, he describes in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7 of all believers of all ages, of all nations, all coming together, all of us at one moment in time being around the throne of God. Now, this moment has not happened yet. This is a vision of what will happen when all this is done and all that are going to become Christians have come, have come to know Christ as Savior, and now we have all gathered around the throne of God. And John, as he's describing this, is saying, there are so many people around the throne of God that it is uncountable. There are so many millions and hundreds of millions of people around the throne, you can't even count the number that is there. And John, in his description, says, and they are from every nation and every language and every tribe is the word that John uses. It is a word that means ethnicity. And we're all gathered around the throne. And I'm going to tell you, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I'm going to be in that crowd around the throne. And it is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because of anything I've ever done or ever could do. It is totally by the grace of Almighty God that He was willing to save even me. It is only by God's grace and His forgiveness and His cleansing that came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason and the only reason that I could be around the throne of God. But I have accepted Christ as my Savior, and one day when this vision becomes reality and we have all gathered around the throne, Mark Hartman is going to be in that crowd. I am. I'm going to be there. And you may may tell you what I'm going to do. I know me. I will be looking around. I know everybody's supposed to be looking at the throne, but I know me. I'm going to be looking around. I'm going to be looking across the crowd. I'm going to be seeing the people across the crowd. And guess what? When I see you, I know me. I'm going to wave. I know. It's going to come out. I'm going to just wave. So, Look, if I do this and you see me and you say, well, there's Mark Hartman right over there in this big crowd and you see me and I'm waving, would you please wave back? I don't want to be the only one waving. Would you not make me just hang out there the only waving guy? Now listen to what John says. John says that there will be people from every nation, every ethnicity, 
every language around the throne. There will be millions and millions of people who are of Indian descent, from India, around the throne. And some of you are in this room. If you are of Indian descent, would you stand? You're going to be around the throne. Go ahead and stand up if you're from Indian descent. Don't hesitate. You're going to be around the throne. Look at you. You're going to be around the throne. Now, look, you may end up standing up for more than one of these, so get ready, because however many. And some of you, some of you are from Middle Eastern descent, Arab and Middle Eastern, and you've come to know Christ as Savior. And if that's the case, and you're going to be around the throne, would you stand? You're from Middle Eastern, you're of Arab descent. Would you stand? There we go. There we go. There we go. Look at this. Don't wait for others. There you go. Around the throne of God. And there are some of you who are from African descent, African slash African American, and you're from African descent. And if you're going to be around the throne, stand up. Stand up wherever you are. Around the throne of God. And there are some of you who are of Native American descent. you got Native American blood in you, and you come to know Christ as Savior. You're going to be around the throne. Stand up if that is true about you. Wherever you are, stand up. Around the throne. And some of you are of European, Caucasian descent, and you have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you're going to be around the throne, so stand up if you're going to be around the throne. You, you know Christ. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. And there are going to be millions and millions of people from, from Central America and South America who are of Hispanic descent and who love the Lord with all their heart and they have accepted Christ as Savior. And if that is you, would you stand up right now? Latino descent and Hispanic descent, and there you are around the throne. And there are some of you that are from Asian descent, and you come to know Christ as Savior. There'll be millions and millions of people around the throne from Asian descent, and if you're going to be one of them, would you stand up right now of Asian descent? Now, what is absolutely shocking, what is absolutely amazing is that every, oh, wait a minute, one more thing. If I left you out somehow, I don't know how I did, but if I did, and you're going to be around the throne, stand up because we want you to join the rest of the group. Is there anybody I left out? Okay. Now, what is amazing, what is absolutely shocking, is that in one church, every single ethnicity that you can name is, is present in this church, and it is absolutely a shock, shocker. It's amazing. I've never even heard of a church like this. I've ne certainly never seen a church. I've never pastored a church like this. It is the most amazing thing I've ever heard of. And yet God has done this here. 
I was talking to Dr. Wayne Grudem, who's just an amazing, he's been one of my idols in the ministry, he's a great theologian, and to a degree sociologist, and I got an opportunity to spend a little time with him a few years ago, and I told him about you. I told him what happened in this church and what has taken place, and he said this to me, he said, Mark, there are not 10 churches in America like Sugar Creek, not 10 churches. And, you know, I, I thought, I didn't say this to him. I thought, well, there's not even another church like Sugar Creek. I mean, well, I don't even know what you're saying here. But I, I knew what, I didn't, I wasn't rude. Not ten churches have this. The United Nations meeting every Sunday. Not ten churches in America are like this. So you know what he said? So Listen. But he said, he's what he said to me. He said, but I'm going to tell you in 50 years, there are going to be hundreds of churches like yours. And in 100 years, there's going to be thousands of churches like this. So he said, do it well. Because there are going to be pastors and church leaders that start coming to Sugar Creek and say, we've heard about you. We've heard about what God's doing. Help us know how to make this transition and do it well. He said, you have a great responsibility and a great opportunity. And it's not just Mark Hartman does, I mean all of us. We have a great opportunity and a great responsibility. All over the world, there are ethnicities that are fighting each other, that are hating each other, that are killing each other. For no other reason but that their skin tone is different or their language is different. No other reason. But this is the family of God. And in the family of God, God has called us to lay down our prejudices and the stuff that we have picked up as we were growing up, the prejudices of our life, because we are one family. We are the family of God, and we are to be different people, and we are to lay down our prejudices, and we are to open our hearts to rub shoulders with one another and understand each other, learn to understand and love each other, because we're family. So you know what we'll discover as we do that? We might have different customs and we might have di different mannerisms, but at the core of every person around the world, at the core. This is the shocker. What we discover is that at the core of people all over the world, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their language is, at the core of people all over the world, they just want to be respected for who they are. They just want to be treated with respect. That's all they're asking. They just want to be treated respectfully for who they are. They just want an opportunity to live their best life. They just want opportunity. They just want peace, to live in peace. And they just want to be able to bring up their kids to know and love God. What we will discover when we are opening our heart to people who are different than us is that the truth is they are very much like us. When we get past all the mannerisms and all the differences that are just natural things, 
we learn that we are very much alike. So Jesus, having the ability to look down through time and seeing all these people gathered around the throne, an uncountable number of all nations and languages, also saw us. He saw us. And he prayed for us. At Sugar Creek, he prayed for us. We might have different shades of skin color and different ways of saying things and doing things and different opinions about things, but we're family. And he prayed that we would be one. Jesus prayed for unity, but he did not pray for uniformity. He prayed for unity, but he did not pray for uniformity because they're two different things. Uniformity is that we're all identical, a bunch of robots, cookie cutter. But he did pray that we would be one, unity, not uniformity. Unity is a distinctiveness. This is a fill-in-the-blank. Unity is a distinctiveness, going in the same direction to accomplish a common purpose. So what does that mean? The Houston Texans are a great example for us. I am really hoping we have a winning season this year. I'm telling you, aren't you? I mean, I'm, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we've really improved, and I haven't heard the word yet, but I'm hoping we really have a great, great season. And next Sunday, the Houston Texans are going to be lining up against the uh, New England Patriots. And when they do, and they send out the offensive unit, you're going to know some, notice something when the offense goes out on the field. You're going to be stunned. Get ready. They are not all going to look alike or have the same responsibilities. When the Houston Texans line up to run a play, there are going to be different positions that have different responsibilities by different people of different backgrounds, but only one goal line. They're not going to all be offensive right tackles. Can you imagine 11 offensive right tackles all going out there? They're going to get beaten. They're going to be in bad shape. Even 11 quarterbacks or 11 running backs or 11 tight ends, if there are 11 of the same guy, we're doomed. Our strength is that everybody has a different job and knows the job. The different responsibilities by different people with different backgrounds are actually intended because... Together, they are stronger than if they were all the same. That's a football team. But even though they're all different, they have the same goal line. The same goal line. And that is us. Jesus didn't pray we'd all be identical. We'd all be the same. He prayed that in our differences and our different backgrounds, we would come together as one. Unity is when we choose to love each other and receive each other, though we might look different, we might think different, we might sound different, but we got one goal, and we have united our hearts around that one goal. 
So what is the basis of our unity? We are family. We are family. So what is the foundational thing that pulls us together of all these different countries? we got 90 different countries in this church. we got 70 different languages, I'm told, in this church. So what is it that causes this group of people to come together? There are two things that pull us together. One is Jesus. The first thing that pulls us together, the basis of our unity, our unity is centered on Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body, on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So what is he saying? In first century, the big thing was Jew and Gentile. Jews believed one thing, Gentiles are anybody that's not a Jew. And the Jews hated all the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And there was this giant wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. But notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace between Jews and Gentiles. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When on his, in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ tears down everything that man erects to divide us, to separate us. But when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus and I know Jesus, it is Jesus that brings us together. Have you ever met a person on the other side of the world? This person could live on the other side of the world and you never met him before. And now you meet him and you find out this guy loves Jesus. Well, there is, there is instant compatibility that happens. There's instant love that happens between these two people. I meet somebody I've never met before on the other side of the world, so different than me. But that person knows Jesus and loves Jesus, and I love Jesus, and we are brothers immediately. It's Jesus. Jesus is the gravity that pulls us together. How does this church come together? Jesus is the gravity that pulls us together. The second thing that pulls us together is the Word of God. Our unity is centered around the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God that God breathed. He gave us His Word. He preserved it so that we would have it today. Over all these years, He's preserved it so that we would have exactly what He wanted us to know. To know about Him, to know about the Holy Spirit, to know about Jesus, to know about how to live life. What ties us together is Jesus. What ties us together is the Word of God. When I was talking to Dr. Wayne Grudem, and we were talking about the transition that has happened at Sugar Creek, and it's just amazing, and the diversity, and he said to me, well, I guess you've been through a lot of fights. I said, we haven't had one. He said, you haven't had, I mean, there, should, there wasn't a lot of tension and struggle in this whole, I said, there wasn't any. I said, the most amazing thing about this church is that they just open their hearts and they say, we, whoever, whosoever will come, and I, we don't care what your background is, we don't care what your ethnicity is, we don't care what your language is, 
He said, I have never even heard of a church that has gone through the transition you've gone through without conflict. I said, there's not been any. See, Sugar Creek really is one of a kind. I wanted to say that to him, but I didn't say it, but I wanted to say it to him. So how is it possible that you could have a different skin color than me and different background and a different language? How is this possible? Because it is Jesus that brings us together. The basis of our unity is Jesus. The basis of our unity is God's Word. Amen? Amen. Listen, we are family. We are family. Now, as family, there is a way in which God intended for us to treat each other. So how is it? Well, three things must happen. And let me just tell you, Sugar Creek is already great at all three. And I know I'm only telling you what you're already living through. And I just want to say to you, keep going. Keep doing this. The first thing is, is that we must live with a willingness to forgive and restore relationships that get bruised. We are a family, but we're not perfect family. We will always have times. You can't have a group of people get together that somehow don't hurt or offend or say something or do something or don't say something. Or People just have a tendency to get bumped and bruised, and all of us are this way. It isn't the bumping that concerns me. It's how we respond to those times that is so important to me. Jesus said in John 17, 23, I am them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Our unit, what Jesus is saying is our unity with each other says more than just something about us in the eyes of the world, our unity says something about Jesus. And this is what Jesus was saying. you got to be one. Because when the world sees that you love each other, the world sees that you, you receive each other, when the world sees that you are different, they will realize I am for real. Every group of people have times in which they bump each other. And sometimes what happens is, is that a person builds a sense of offense against another person and they don't deal with it. They don't go back and, hey, I'm sorry or, uh, or I forgive or whatever. They don't deal with it and then they build a deep-seated bitterness that begins to actually be a cancer in a church. Don't let that happen to you. In the first church that I pastored out of seminary, I just completed my master's degree in seminary, and it was the first church that I, I pastored. It was, uh, at the time I went there, about 250 people. But what they didn't tell me when they were recruiting me to come and be their pastor, what no one told me is, is they were fighting like cats and dogs in this church. There were three different groups that didn't like each other, and they were all mad at each other, and they were fighting, and no one brought that up when we were talking about me coming to be the pastor. And then I came to be the pastor, and I began to see some things, but God began to lay on my heart. Mark, I want you to preach about love. Well, okay, I did that. Now the next week, I want you to preach about love. Okay, I just did that. 
do it again, and forgiveness and restoration. And literally, seriously, for like two months, it was the only thing I was preaching on. And every Monday I would say, oh, God, please, another topic. They don't think I know anything else now after all the They think it's the only subject I know about. Let me talk about some other subject. He would not. And here I am again. Okay, love each other. Come on, everybody be nice. And I'm preaching again. And one Sunday morning... It was just one service at 11 o'clock, Sunday school at 9.30, and so it's 9.30, Sunday school's going on, I'm in my office, going to preach at 11, and I get a knock at the door, and the guy that's knocking at the door is, a, is an older guy, and he, he says, could I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure, come on in, and he came in and he said, okay, I, I have had enough of the love stuff, and... <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had enough. I've heard enough of the love and forgiveness and all this stuff. So I'm here to say to you, I surrender. I said, well, okay, I wasn't ready for that last part. What does that mean? What does that mean? And he said, what it means is I've come to a conclusion that I'm the one holding this entire church back. I am so embittered against this particular woman in the church. I just we and she hates me. I don't. I hate her. And we pass each other in the hallway. We look the other way, and we have been at odds with each other for so long. And I have come to the conclusion that I'm dead wrong. And if I don't get myself right, then God's never going to bless this church. And I'm just coming in to say, show me how to do it. Wow, I write it all on a little piece of paper. Here's the steps you go through to getting restored in a relationship with that person. And you know what? He went out and did it. Stunned this woman. He went out and approached this woman, and he took total blame for everything. He said, I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to be right in my heart with you. And then she said, I am so wrong too, and would you forgive me? The very next Sunday, the very next Sunday, here I am preaching on love again. I'm back to love and talking about forgiveness and stuff like that. And when the invitation comes, all of a sudden I got two people coming down the aisle. Now, it's not the older guy that got all this started. It's the woman he went to go see. She's walking down the aisle. And a guy that was leading the other faction comes down the aisle. And they didn't even know the other one was coming. There they are. And both of them come up to me and say, could we say something to the church? That is not advisable to ever say yes to that. It's not advisable. But I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I need to. So I let them. And both of them in front of the church said, I am sorry for how I have held this church back with my bitterness and my upset, being upset and her feelings. And I'm just asking you as a whole church to forgive me and let's be one. The whole people were hugging, they were crying. Can I tell you the next Sunday I talked about a totally different topic. I was so excited. Totally different topic. And, and... This church took off. I mean, we were reaching people right and left. It was the most crazy thing that happened in that church. And it was all being held back by the bitterness of the members of the church. God has called us to be one. He has called us to forgive. Part of loving each other means that we have an attitude of forgiveness and restoration. And we don't let it keep festering. We don't let it keep going. Second of all, we make a decision to care for each other who are struggling. We have people that are struggling. 
and we make a decision to care for each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore that person with a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. One of the ways that makes Sugar Creek become small, because it's a big church, but it becomes small when we get into a connect group, a small group. And inside that small group, we begin to we make friends and build relationships forever. And sometimes individuals inside those small groups go through hard times. And when they go through hard times and struggles and difficulties, we don't turn a blind eye, we help. And that's what this verse is saying. And in fact, it's saying I want you to have two different attitudes. The first is the attitude of meekness. Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. And one of the aspects of meekness is that we have gentleness with each other. We don't put each other down. Oh, I can't believe you're doing that or this. We don't don't put each other down. We don't judge each other. We have an attitude of gentleness, of patience and kindness to each other. I'm here for you. I want to help. And truthfulness. Jesus was called a meek man, and yet Jesus, in this kind of a context, would always lovingly confront. He would always go to the person and say the truth. He would tell the truth with love. And that is exactly what Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. When we find another person struggling, having difficulties, go to that person Oh, I hope one of the ministers find out about this. No, you know. You go to the person and you love them and I'm here for you and you care for them with an attitude of meekness. Second of all, an attitude that is the second characteristic, a right attitude, is a realistic view of your own weaknesses. He says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, yet, but, for the, but, but for the mercy of God, there goes for me. I realize one day I may be one of those guys are struggling in difficulty, and I'm hoping you'll come and, and help me. I'm coming to help you, but not with a better than thou attitude, but with an attitude that says, look, and I understand I've had hard times too. I've had difficulties too. I haven't always reacted well either. I'm here to help you, and next time it'll be you coming to help me. If you're away from God and and you can't figure out how to get your way back, how would you want someone to treat you? Then treat that person that way. It's what Jesus taught when he said, therefore, However you want people to treat you, you treat them. Not how people treat you, but how you want people to treat you. You treat them that way. Here's the last thing, that we make a decision to also carry each other. We have an attitude of forgiveness toward each other. We have an attitude of, I care about you, and I'll be there for you, and I'll help you in your hard times. But we also have an attitude that says, I will carry you. Sometimes somebody just needs us to carry them. Galatians 6.2 puts it this way, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing each other's burdens is the act of bending down and helping pick up the load. Pick up the load. That you're there for them. 
And sometimes you have to carry them. I know some of you say, well, I don't know how to do that. We'll let, we'll let one of the professionals do it. No, you do know how. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that, there's the two key words, so that, so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what does this mean? Some of you have lost your job, and it was hurtful. It was a struggle financially. It was hurtful emotionally. It was just a lot of pain. But you got on the other side of it. Time went by, and the God of all comfort was there to help you, and you got to the other side. You know how this feels. You know the fears that it creates. You've been through it. You understand. And now there's somebody else in the church that's lost their job. Somebody else that either got fired or the, got, the, the, the job got cut back or whatever. Instead of you stepping back and saying, well, I, I mean, I can't help that. That person, you can help. You can go to that person and say, look, I've been here. I know what this is like. I'd love to spend some time with you and talk with you if you'd like. And here's my number. I know how you feel. Because I've walked through it. Some of you have experienced divorce in your life and you know the pain and the heartache of the divorce. And now you see, and God is taking you through it. And now you see somebody else who's just gotten a divorce. Don't step back and say, I don't want to get involved. This is the time to step up and say, I need to get involved. And come and say to them, look, you don't know me, but this is who I am. And look, I've been through this. And if you just want to have a cup of coffee and want somebody to talk with, I can be here for you because I know how you feel. Ministering all over the church, forgiving and caring and carrying. This is what God has called us to do. Oftentimes, God develops our ministry through our difficulties. So open your heart to that. Now, we are a family. And we've come together as a family because of Jesus. God is our Father, not because of birth, but because of second birth. For as many as receive Jesus to those, God gives the authority and power to be called children of God. And there's some in this room, and you would love to be a part of this family the family of God. And we invite you to give your heart to Christ today. There are some of you that are visiting our church and there's a sense in your heart, this place just feels like home. Come and join this church today. How do you do that? Right through these center doors and across the short for you, there's a room called Next Step Center. And our ministers are there. We'd love to talk with you one-on-one. -on -one. Come and talk to one of our ministers about how to know Christ. Let's pray. Bless, Father, this service and your word as you have reached out into our hearts today. May there be many come to know Jesus as Savior. May there be many join this church. And may all of us, Father, act like family by forgiving and caring 
and carrying each other, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.